1 Corinthians chapter 16. Fresh look at opportunities. Short, short, short verse this morning. Um, but just because it's short doesn't mean that it's not, that it can't be powerful. Paul closes out his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians, and he's uh, really just sharing in 1 Corinthians 16, he's sharing uh, some of his plans. He's letting them know what his itinerary looks like. He wants them to be aware of when he's going to be coming. So he's scheduling all that with him. And he says in verse 5, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it will be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Let me read verse 9 one more time, or verse 8. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. As I told you last week, um, that this concept of open doors, the access that it provides, the security that it provides, the references of nearness and proximity uh, that we find in the Bible, really it seems that in the New Testament, one of the favorite examples or pictures, word pictures of a door represents that of opportunity, ministry opportunities. And the apostle uses it several times, as we saw last week. He was in prison writing his, one of his prison letters to uh, the believers, that little prayer group, and he tells them to pray for open doors for the word, that, that he would know how to speak. So he wasn't praying to get out of prison, but he was using that as an opportunity, believing that God wanted to use his words and his witness to share the gospel right there in that innermost prison. But now he, he shows us something else about this concept of doors as they relate to ministry opportunities. He says, a great and effectual door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. I want us to be able to realize this morning that that's really how it works. I mean, that is really the heart of this idea of opportunities. This, this really encapsulates all of these factors revolving around opportunities. Remember, I'm not talking about opportunities for you to get ahead in life. I'm speaking about opportunities to advance the gospel. When I'm speaking about a fresh look at opportunities, I'm not just talking about you climbing some ladder. I'm talking about you building a bridge for someone else to know Jesus Christ. Looking at life and experiences and opportunities as an avenue to be able to introduce others to Jesus Christ. And Paul says something, a great and effective door has opened to me. If you want to, if you notice your cross reference, it should say in the middle of your Bible, it should point you to the book of Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, something happens. The apostle Paul is going and he finds some believers in Ephesus. Um, they really didn't, they had been baptized by John the Baptist, baptism, which was, a baptism of repentance. 
the Apostle Paul starts asking them about the Holy Spirit, and they said, we really didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul realizes that these people have repented of their sins, and ultimately, he baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And he begins this discipling process. There were 12 of them, Acts 19 says. So as Paul has now found this body of believers, these these 12 new disciples, these new followers of Jesus Christ, he then goes into the synagogue and begins teaching and, and really discipling them, and I'm sure anybody else who would listen. But in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, something happens. There are people, it said, who did not believe, who were hardened, and began to speak evil of the way. That's what they called Christianity at that time, was the way. Of the five times it's mentioned in the book of Acts, four of the, or excuse me, in the New Testament, four of those are directly uh, re- related to some type of persecution. So this man is now, these men are now speaking, they're hardened, they're bitter, uh, they don't believe the gospel, and they start attacking the believers verbally. They start speaking evil of Christians and Christianity. So Paul removes those 12 disciples and they go to another place to begin this discipling process or to continue. Then something happens in Ephesus. I mean, this whole Jesus thing in Ephesus catches on. I mean, it's to the point that people, sick people, are even touching cloths that were held or used by the Apostle Paul, and even touching the cloths, the pieces of clothing, handkerchiefs, even touching those things, sick people were healed. Demons were being cast out. I mean, guys, there was a serious revival taking place in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul knew what he meant. He had the spiritual sensitivity and the keen eyesight to be able to say, you know what, this is a great and effective door that is open for me. He understood the gravity. He understood the possibility of what Christ could do in that situation. So he walks through that door. A huge revival breaks out in Ephesus to the point that the men who made their living building idols for the princess Diana, or for the goddess Diana, excuse me, the the guys who made the idols, they start losing business. You know why? Paul was telling everybody that you shouldn't worship idols, so they start throwing their idols away. So these guys are running out of money. You want to hit someone, you hit them in the pocketbook, and that's what's happening. They had this group of these guys get together who were all idol builders and coppersmiths and what have you. And they start saying, hey, wait a second, something's going on. We're losing revenue. Those Christians are running us out of business telling us that Jesus Christ is the only one to be worshipped. Guys, there were real tangible results from this revival. But it was not without difficulty. Those guys kicked up a stir the town town square in Ephesus. Riot broke out. Huge riot. To the point that when one man got up to speak, that they literally shouted him down for two hours. It was such a horrible scenario. It was such a bad, such a horrible riot that Paul's friends were telling him, don't go out there. Don't you dare go out there. It was in his best interest physically to not step out into that avenue. Guys, huge revival took place. Why? Because Paul knew a great and effective door has opened to me. I want you to see something this morning. 
There are many, first point, there are many opportunities presented to each one of us. First thing, there are many opportunities presented to each one of us. How do I know that? It's this right here. The heartbeat of God is to win back the lost. The heartbeat of God is to win back the lost. His mission is redemption. Think about this for just one moment. The God of all creation who has all power and all authority. His main goal is to win back that which was lost. Jesus summed it up when he referred to God's heart as he looked out after a lost sheep. That, that God would even be willing to leave 90 and 9 sheep who are found to go out after the one that was lost. And that he would rejoice when he finds it and brings it back and calls his friends and neighbors and has them rejoice with him. Why? Because he found the one that was gone. It is a reflection of the heart of God that God's heart beats for the redemption of man. God's desire, God's will, God's heart is all wrapped up in gaining back all of that which was lost to break down and to bring back those who have wandered from him. That's the heartbeat of God. That's what he wants. That's his will. That's his purpose. Yes, we can talk about his will is to worship Yes, we can talk that he deserves praise. Yes, we can talk about his will being that his name is glorified. But his name is glorified. Praise is made perfect through the hearts of those who have been redeemed. In my life, if God's purpose, great grand desire, is to see a lost world come to faith in his son Jesus Christ, then don't I have to believe that God would use you and I in great ways, in, in incredible ways, that he would be providing all of these opportunities laid out in front of us? Why? To use them as an avenue. To be using as a bridge to bring people to Christ. Do you remember when Jesus brought his disciples to the Mount of Olives? After he had raised from the dead. Remember he gave them this. The great commission we call it. To go into all nations. Baptizing them. Teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo I'm with you always even to the end of the world. Jesus told us it is our great privilege. Our commission by him. To go into all the world to make disciples. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. That's what you're supposed to do. But do you remember what he said before he ever gave us the Great Commission? Before he ever told us what to do, he told us how we were going to do it. He said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority is given unto me. What he is saying is, I have all power. Listen to me. If God's heart beats for the redemption of man, then I have to believe my schedule is going to be full of opportunities, of doors 
that God has arranged and provided. Why? Because that's his goal. His goal is not to make much of me. Is my goal to make much of me or is my goal to say, God, you've got me here for a purpose much greater than myself. You have me here for a purpose. To be a bridge introducing people to Jesus Christ. Guys, let me tell you. If that is indeed God's heart. To win the loss to him. Through his son. I tell you this. That God will withhold no good resource to make it happen. He will empty the coffers of heaven if if he has to. To do what? To win the lost to himself. That means he will empower me. That That means he will orchestrate events. That means he will move around in all of the systems and orchestrate uh, all of these encounters throughout the world so that all I have to do is to be able to see them. I don't even have to make them happen necessarily. Paul said, pray that the Lord would open the door. He understood God's heart beats for the redemption of man. So he is able to say, I know what God's will is and I want to be sensitive And make the most of that opportunity. If God's heart is to beat for the redemption of man, I have to believe he will leave no resource ungiven for that task. Do you really think, do you really think for a moment that if God would give his greatest resource, I can stand in front of you and say that God will withhold no good thing to ensure that happens. You know why? He gave his son. And if he gives his son for the redemption of man, his only begotten son, the greatest of all gifts, if he says this is for you, I promise you, there is nothing else he will withhold. The issue is not this God's heartbeat for the redemption of man. And is this my heart beat for the redemption of man? Is my heart aligned with God's heart? That's a question I can only answer for me. You have to find your answer yourself. Does my heart beat For the same reason his does. Does my heart beat for the same reason Jesus stopped? Second thing. Great and effective doors open to me and there are many adversaries. It would be foolish for us to think. That an enemy would allow a door to remain open. That an enemy who is bent. On stealing, killing, and destroying. One who wants no part. Wants no good to come to the name of God. Wants no, no step to be taken in the advancement of the kingdom of God. It would be foolish for us to think that he who is a roaring lion. Who walks about seeking whom he may devour. It is foolish for us to think for a moment. That he and all of the forces of darkness in which he 
commands would allow a door to remain open without some type of opposition. Don't you know it? Don't you know that there are those times as a believer when that door of opportunity is swung open? I mean, it is as though God has literally handed it down to us on a glass platter. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's a, a friend. Maybe it's a tragedy. Something in your life and you know, God, this is much more than what I thought it was. This is an opportunity. And you see that opportunity and you stand at the threshold of that opportunity. And you say, I could share with this friend or with this family member. I could take advantage of all that God has placed in front of me and laid down before me. And I could share my faith in Jesus Christ with them knowing that there could be eternal consequences in a positive way for this person. But then what do we do? If it's a co-worker, we start thinking, well, will I be fired? If we're around other people, we may think, oh, well, what will they think of me? Will I be labeled a Bible thumper? Maybe we'll start looking at ourselves and say, well, you know what? I've only been a Christian for a little while. I don't really have this Jesus thing all figured out. And I don't have all the answers. And what if they ask me a question? Or what if they try to get me to memorize a memory verse from when I was seven? Or what if they ask me uh, who Hezekiah's wife was? What if they ask me what if? And before long, we talk ourselves out of it. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, the same Apostle who's writing to the Corinthian believers, he reminds those Ephesian believers who they were before Christ. And he lets them know the three guiding factors that were in their life, the three major influences in their life before they came to Christ. One of those was the course of this world. He's talking about how the world is set up and structured. He was saying that that was a guiding factor, that was a guiding factor point a a fundamental uh, road in your life that is what you rode on you drove on was the course of this world which ran contrary to the course that God has second he says it was the forces of darkness or as he says the prince of the power of the air so the devil and all that he commands and the structure that they set up were guiding forces for us in life but third he says that we tried to fulfill the lust of our minds and the lust of our flesh He said it wasn't just the course of the world and it wasn't just the enemies of darkness, but it was our own fleshy desires that were the major deciding factors in our life. You know, even though we become born again, even though we become Christians, you know, those are still factors that we have to recognize. We have to be able to identify, is this the course of the world that runs opposite to the the kingdom principles that I've learned? Is this an attack of the enemy uh, wanting me to stay away from this opportunity and not utilize this opportunity for the glory of Christ? Or is this me fulfilling the lusts of my flesh and the lusts of my mind? Maybe afraid of what will happen and trying to protect me. You know, we talk about loving others. Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. He said that is the greatest commandment. In fact, on those two commandments, he said, hang all of the law and the prophets. That's the most important one. When it comes to going through that opportunity, using that opportunity, that's there. If I get to that point and I say, you know what, I'm not going to do it because I'm worried about what that person's going to think about me. 
I'm worried what may happen to me. You know what I've just told that person without telling that person? I don't love you more than I don't love you as much as I should. I love me more than I love you. I'm more worried about my image than I am your salvation. I'm more worried about my relationship to this world than your relationship to God. It's a very, very sad thing to be able to say or to realize that we say in our heart when we're afraid and we back up trying to protect ourselves. I want you to notice this third thing. First, there were many opportunities that are provided because that's God's heart. There are many obstacles that are revealed. Obstacles and opposition. We often focus on the obstacles rather than the opportunity. Third, I want you to see this final thing. Focus on the outcome. How could Paul say those words? How could he say a great and effectual door is open to me and there are many adversaries? He could say that knowing that he is focusing on on a glorious outcome for that open door. You see, what a perfect scenario that is. Doors in Jesus' day typically didn't have glass in them like that. The doors to the homes. You had to open the door and go in it in order to see what was on the other side. That's the door Jesus is talking about. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You had to open the door in order to be able to see see who was on the other side. You could hear, but you had to see by opening the door. There is a bit of uncertainty as it relates to opportunities, no doubt. There are certain things and specifics that we're not aware of. But there is one thing that we are aware of. If God has made this opportunity, he will use it for his glory and for his benefit. Please hear this this morning as we draw this down. You can you can say if this is true in your own heart. This is up for debate. But I can tell you what I've experienced in life. The most consequential painful events. The things that have brought the most guilt to me. The burdens that I have worn on my shoulders. The greatest of those have not been because of things I have done, but because of the things I didn't do. What do I mean? The conversations I didn't have. The opportunities, the doors I didn't walk through. You see, the craziest thing about opportunities is we don't know what the shelf life is on them. We don't know how long we get them. Because there is such a thing as a lost opportunity. The writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You know what he's saying? There's no hope. 
Why did Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near? It's because there are opportunities, there are doors that swing open and are very wide open at certain seasons of our life where we are more sensitive and more receptive to the truth and to the message of God, and other times we become hardened. The things that have brought me the most guilt in my life have not been the things that I said that I wish I could take back, but the things I never said that I wish I could have said, or I wish I would have said the door. I wish I would have walked through the conversations I wish I would have had the moments of prayer that I wish I would have had with somebody but the opportunity was gone even though they come we don't know how long they last so it is imperative that we make the most of every situation of every season of every opportunity that we have do you remember in the gospel of Luke Jesus told a story of a rich man and Lazarus both men died Lazarus was a poor man who was laid at the rich man's gate, had no friends, no food. The only friends that Lazarus had were dogs who came and licked his sores. And Jesus tells this story that Lazarus died and was carried to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was in hell. And out of all of the descriptions of the torment that that man was in, that Jesus describes out of all of them, we get the fire. We get the pain. We get that. We get the fact that he is separated from God. Out of all of those descriptions, the one that breaks me, the one that I can't get out from up here, is when Abraham says, as a response to the rich man, the rich man said, send Lazarus, to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue from tormented in this flame. Do you remember what Abraham's response was? Son, remember. Remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus evil. It's that word remember. I think that is the worst of all of the descriptions of heaven, of hell. Not because of the torment. Not just because of the, the pain. But to know that, I will, that that person will have all eternity to roll over their missed opportunities. Let me ask you this morning. You know, I, I wonder. I wonder. I have no reason to believe that a person who is neglected salvation that they if they die without Christ they will spend eternity I believe rolling that over rolling over their neglected opportunity but what bothers me so is will they also for all eternity roll over my failure will they for all eternity Say, I saw that pastor three times a week, and yet he never said a word to me about Jesus Christ. Oh, don't get me wrong, it is God who saves. God is not dependent on me in order to save the world. But what a glory it is. What a glory it is to be called into partnership with God and advancing Jesus Christ, for what 
what bad thing has Jesus done to us that we should be ashamed to bear his name? Today, I believe you have an opportunity. I believe we all have an opportunity. If we have the ability to reason, a heart to feel, a mouth to confess right now, with breath in our lungs, we have an opportunity.